On Racing HQ, Monday's Experts, studying the form of racing's characters. Monday's Experts, hey, they've always got the good oil. Pity you can't put a bet on at the finish of a race. Yeah, welcome to Monday's Experts and great to be back doing this segment for 2022, an opportunity when we can speak to many of folk across New South Wales and for that fact across the country in the racing game, whatever it may they may do, they've all got a story and looking forward to our guest today. Can you say in your own job that you've been doing it for over 50 years, it's a long, long time and if you can do it for over 50 years, whatever job you may be doing at the moment, you, uh, you've certainly earned your stripes. And this next gentleman, who we're going to chat to in the next little bit here on Sky Sports Radio, I had the privilege of being in his company on Saturday, uh, Saturday evening at the, the Cowra Cup, Calcutta, and yesterday hearing his calls at Cowra. And I speak of Cole Hodges, who has been working for 2K Wine for country racing and pretty much has dedicated his life to servicing uh, the country and, uh, and bringing the product into the ears and uh, in the television screens of many punters across the world. Cole, good morning to you, mate, and welcome to Punners, uh, Punners Racing HQ and also Monday's Experts on this Monday. Yeah, thanks, Dave. It's great meeting up with you again at uh, Cary yesterday, and uh, we've gone our separate ways. You've headed back over the mountains. I've headed out west, and uh, uh, probably both very, very happy about the way that Cary went. It's one of those clubs that's really, um, you know, got right back in the groove again, Cary, and uh, they're getting very, very good crowds, and it was a great day yesterday, Dave. Now, Cole, you're a very humble man. Every time I've spoken to you, you are very humble. But today, I really want to talk about you. This next half an hour is about you and your story. So don't hold back. Don't be too humble. Tell us exactly how it's uh, unfolded and happened. And I'm sure a lot of people out there that have heard your calls over the years and have followed country racing, they'll know this voice, but they might not know the proper story behind it because you don't like talking about yourself, I've noticed. Oh, well, I'll leave someone else to do that, Dave. Um <laughs> Yeah, Dave, I uh, grew up in a little place called Gunning Gap. Now, that's out in central west New South Wales. It's uh, not that far out of Forbes, about 30 k's out of Forbes, which is a town of about um, eight or 9,000 people. And Gunning Gap, there used to be a church there. Um, another five mile away, there was some tennis courts and uh, cricket ground. In fact, uh, when I was a kid, I went and watched Ian Walsh play cricket there with my dad at the Ilka Park Cricket Ground. Uh, that was a long time ago, Ian Walsh. Uh, they uh, played uh, captain of Australia in the rugby league and uh, he lived not uh, far away from us on a farm out there at, uh, in the Gunning Gap area. So when you were growing up, uh, what was what was life like for Cole Hodges? I think some people will say, well, is he really telling the truth? Because when I tell younger people now, they say, that can't be true. Well, how old are you? You must be 180 years old. Because when I tell them where I live on a farm out at Gunning Gap, up when I was about seven years of age, there was no electricity. And I say, what, were you poverty-stricken or, or something? I said, no, the whole area had no electricity. And you're only going back to about 1956, Dave, um, when there was no electricity. And that's only 20 mile out, 30, uh, 20 mile out of Forbes, so quite a, quite a good-sized country town. But right out through that, that country area where I live, there was no electricity. And, you know, I grew up with my brothers and sisters and mum and dad in the farmhouse there. And uh, once it got dark... Um, you lit the lanterns and lit the candles and uh, and then mum put you to bed when you're a little kid uh, carrying a candle out to where you slept. Uh, you know, uh, things when you look at the computer age now, Dave, you don't have to go back all that long ago when things were very much different. 
Yeah, no, you certainly don't. So you've grown, you're growing up there. Um, and and what about school and and sport? Were you a, an athletic type of bloke, or were you was it the farm? Because you were growing up on the farm, and and you're in that uh, environment. Was it sort of that's the path they were pushing you into to go into farming? Uh, no, I didn't ever really get pushed because my dad, he was a bit of a marvel, my dad, because he survived on a, a very, very small farm and raised a big family. He, he and my mum, they're both uh, long departed, but um, the farm that we lived on, it was regarded as non-viable as a living area for the amount of acreage. I think it was 602 two blocks of 320 acres, and I think they said you need about 2,000 acres out there to make a living, but my dad made a living and gave me and my brothers and sisters a wonderful life, but... Um, uh, obviously, when I went on to the farm after I left school, um, I uh, t- took some other avenues out there to get a few extra bob in. But, um, yeah, growing up out there was a totally different life. I went to Gunningat Primary School, uh, walked there a lot of days, a lot of the time barefooted. Uh, that was only my own choice. But, um, Dave, in that day, in those days, there were a stack of little small schools around the area. They were all over the place because... They were nearly all gravel roads, even from my um, farm into Forbes. Up on all, um, you know, I was up into my teenage years, it was uh, no bitumen roads, it was all gravel roads, so people just stayed out in their farms and went to town about once a, once a fortnight and had the fruit and vegetable carts came around there. You got your uh, fruit and vegetables off then, they'd come around about every fortnight. Tony Bernardi and Stan Sheridan were the uh, fruit and vegetable men, and uh, Tony Bernardi, a lot of people listening down Wagga Way and all over, they realised now that Tony Bernardi... Uh, Bernardi supermarkets all over the place, but that's where they started out. But uh, Gunning Gap Primary, it was only a small school. Uh, there were 10 kids in the school. By the time I left there in um, sixth class, I think there's about eight and 20. And often they sent uh, school teachers out from Sydney. Um, they, their first appointment, they sent them out in the bush. It must have been a big shock for people coming out from the suburbs of Sydney to come to a little place like Gunning Gap. They were usually put up in one of the uh, farming families. Uh, they stayed at their place, but they were teaching kids from... Uh, first class rush through to sixth class, and Dave, I, I, I know you don't say, I don't strike myself up much, but I got a major academic prize at Gunning Gap Primary School. The only really big academic prize I ever got. In sixth class, there were three kids in my class. One boy got the mathematics prize, the other boy, which we used to call adding up and taking away mathematics, another boy got the prize for English, and one of those boys got measles during the year, the other boy broke his leg. And I was very proud because I got the book prize for best attendance. So that was my, <laughs> that was my academic achievement. So, okay. I lived for sport. And when I went to Forbes High School, um, yeah, I just loved playing rugby league, cricket, tennis. I was no good at rugby league, but I just absolutely loved it. We used to play the Catholic College, Red Bend Catholic College, and it was a bit like those. Uh, big um, Catholic college in Sydney where they, a lot of the boys um, graduate from out of there or they send them there and uh, become first-rate footballers. Red Bend was a bit like that. They always had champion footballers. And I know I was in about second year and my mum and dad came in to watch us Forbes High School playing Red Bend and Red Bend just flogged Forbes High School uh, regularly. And I was playing fullback. And there was a little Aboriginal boy from Brewarrina who was boarding at Red Bend College. And he sidestepped me about eight times. I think he scored seven tries. And, of course, the fullback always gets the blame. So when we got beaten about 80 to nil, I think I took most of the blame. But later on, I did travel around as a 17 or 18-year-old and playing a lot of tennis tournaments around the Central West and also played a lot of cricket. But, yeah, apart from that, I just had to concentrate on the race school and that, and that all had to be pushed to the side, though. 
Well, let's talk about that. So, I mean, you, you're a young bloke growing up. You're playing your sport. You're in, you know, you're enjoying uh, enjoying life. When did racing come into it? Because if you didn't have the electricity as a young boy, um, when was your first remembrance of, of hearing horse racing? Well, we had the old radios there, and I had an unmarried um, auntie who lived next door to us out on the farm. There's a, a, a little um, a little house on the side of our house, and uh, she lived there, and. Um, she used to get me in on a Saturday afternoon because I was supposed to be doing jobs and um, mum and dad sort of, uh, I think dad had been a bit of a punter in his young days and he'd sworn off it. And my auntie used to hide me under the bed of a Saturday afternoon when I was supposed to be doing jobs like locking the calves up and chopping wood. And she'd hide me there of an afternoon and I used to listen to Joe Brown doing the Melbourne races, Ken Howard in Sydney and Jeff Marnie on the ABC in Sydney. I was just fascinated by it. And eventually I'd hear my dad roaring around and wonder why the calves hadn't been locked up so the cows could be milked the next morning. And uh, eventually I'd uh, crawl out and uh, got in a lot of trouble. But that's where I got the uh, idea of being a race caller. I was just absolutely spellbound by it. But I was about 14 years of age, I think, uh, when I went to my very first race meeting. Mum and Dad did go to a race meeting at the Jerobong Picnics. And it always has remained probably my favourite race meeting around Australia, I think. It's on in February. But... Um, I was leaning over the fence. I'd never seen a race meeting, and these horses came galloping past. I looked at all those colours and those jockeys and all the noise, and I nearly fainted with excitement. And I said, this is a go for me. I'm going to be a person who follows racing, and uh, I just loved it from that day on. So, so you, you've, you've obviously got the love of racing. What about the, the calling racing? And I don't want to skip over the, your time being a shearer. So we might go back to, so you're in school, and you, you've said you know, you're 17, 18, you're doing a lot of travelling. Do you go into race calling straight away, or do you go into the, the shearing? Because for those that don't know, you're a, you're a very very good shearer in the day. Um, Dave, we'll, get, we'll just go back a little bit. Where my race calling really got the the, the first start in it at the Gunning Gap Primary School, I organised trotting races and I got ropes and uh, put them around other kids and some of the boys became the drivers. And I mapped out a trotting course about four laps around a big gum tree out there in the dust, all barefooted. And because I was going to call the trotting race, I had to be at the back of the field so I could see what was going on. So I always drove the fastest kid in the school. And I used to follow them around. And it's about the last hundred metres, last half a lap, I'd let my, uh, let my horse go. And uh, he dragged me along. He's that fast and uh, get up and win the race. So that's where I, I sort of uh, started doing a bit of race calling. But one day, uh, my horse wasn't responding very well over the last half lap. And, uh, well, I can't say too much on the radio, but... Let's say that I offered a bit of encouragement with a bit of a switch I had in my hand, and uh, the kid <laughs> ran away crying. The kid ran away crying. The school teacher, and the school teacher got me and gave me six cuts of the cane and said, "Trotting races are forever barred here at Gunning Gap Primary School." But uh, no, it's a hard game to get into, um, uh, Dave. Um, later on, Bobby Gunn had been the call around. Bob used to call up around Newcastle. He's a fool's boy, uh, but. He used to call uh, around Newcastle uh, for the Sydney radio, I think, and or 2HD up there. And uh, But basically he called around here for a long, long time, the harness racing and the gallop, uh, uh, taking me to um, some of the harness racing weddings. And I used to just practice endlessly on a, on a tape recorder. I'd find a little caller up in the grandstand or in a car and I'd play him to Bob and Bob would offer me some... Um, um, you know, some uh, constructive criticism or some praise, and uh, eventually it cropped up because it's hard to believe 
now we have about well, probably eight race meetings uh, a month out here, eight or ten at the most, I'd say, out in this central west area of a month. Back in the early 60s, that there were up to 29 to 30 race meetings each month, and you had about four race callers. There was Harry Hart, Pat Burke, Donnie Ryan, um, all those sort of blokes who were all calling races around the area, and uh, of course, um, up, and Johnny Kerr was another caller, uh, because there, sometimes there were three race meetings in one day. But Bobby Gunn had uh, commitments among... Um, no, actually, he got me to call one race at Doolagong. That's right, yep, at, um, in 1970, in the spring of 1970. I called one race there, but he had commitments the following year. In early 1971, he had another meeting on, and he got me to go to a little place called Firefield, which is out between uh, Trundle and Tullamore. And, um, yep, well, I called the whole meeting there, and uh, that was where I got started. And it wasn't long after that, Bobby Gunn fell very, very ill, and uh, he couldn't call the race anymore, and uh, basically handed over the whole circuit to me. So, how, how old were you when you when you called that first meeting, Colm? Uh, I was about twenty years old, so you know, I was a bit of a late starter compared to people like Josh Fleming. I think he was up here calling calling up the birds already. He's about fourteen, and there's other ones I've heard say, "Yeah, Bobby Foran, the great caller." I just, uh, um, of course, Bob Foran was one of those calls of those days gone by, and called a remarkable sixty Gilgander Cup, and. Um, uh, I think he called his first year game a couple when he was about 14, but I was 20 years of age when I actually started calling um, Dave. Yeah, okay. What about the shearing? I'm very, I'm fascinated by this because um, you still only recently, I found out, oh, a couple of years ago, you were still shearing on Forbes Cup Day. No, Dave, we'll go, well, I think we'd better go back about 15 years, 15, 17 or 18 years ago when I, I actually gave it away. I actually put on an exhibition. We had the Bankstown Sports Club. That's where you might have got that uh, information. Yeah. Bankstown Sports Club have been a sponsor of uh, Forbes Jockey Club for about, oh, you know, getting on to 25 years. And I remember um, one year they were up here and they organised a sort of a night over at the showground and they we had a dummy betting with dummy money and uh, I'd organised a um, sort of um, phantom race money with no sound on them. I called the races a, a boxing fight. I called the boxing fight. But they also organised about three other local shearers and we sure... Uh, four or five sheep each, and they had to, with their dummy money, they had to bet on uh, uh, which team had finished uh, first. And, um, yeah, that's where I would have probably sure my last sheep. But, yeah, I got into shearing. Um, there was, you know, it was only a small farm we had. I, I suppose I should mention, Dave, that um, I did year 12 at high school. I did get a scholarship to go to Teachers College, but I always loved being out in the bush. And I went home on the farm and... Uh, um, you know, there wasn't sufficient uh, acreage there to support um, um, Dad and me and that sort of stuff. So I went shearing, and it's uh, one of the hardest games you'll ever learn. There's um, a lot of people try to learn, and they just give it away. Uh, I remember reading in the uh, Telegraph of the Herald back there about, oh, about 10 or 15 years ago that the um, South Australian University sent um, some of their team out there, and they strapped gear on the shearers, and... They came back after in the university and they decided it was the hardest job in the world, the most physical job in the world. I, I know I'd go out there some days. You lose, you, you lose five kilos in sweat some days. But um, at those days, we used to drink a lot, Dave. I don't mind admitting that. And uh, that deadened the pain a fair bit of a nighttime. <laughs> you, you lined up the next day and away you went. But now it's a good life because I met a lot of uh, great blokes. And one thing I did learn, Dave, I learned how to work very, very hard. And I learned to always be grateful. And when I'm getting up in the broadcast box some days out of these tracks way out west when it's 42 degrees and people say, oh, God, God how are you surviving up there? It's hot. I said, mate, 
I've been out in shearing sheds with half a cask of plonk in me from the night before, shearing sheep all day in 44-degree heat with a bucket of water for five shearers to wash in all day and uh, sun beating down on the galvanised roof. So I said, I'm getting a pretty lucky here today being able to call races. Yeah, mate. And uh, where where were you shearing? Were you shearing all over the state or were you still in around uh, the central west? I had my own run around here where I went a couple of other shearers, did a lot of shearing around the Forbes area, but I used to go out around Lake Angelica and I used to go up to a big um, sheep station up at Canamble and we used to camp out up there, uh, camp in shearers' huts and you, I'd come home on the weekend, the other shearers used to stay there on the weekend, but I'd come home to call the races. And um, yeah, um, the shearers' cook out there was Reggie Coles. Now, his son, Les Coles, won the Melbourne Cup on Even Stephen. And uh, of course... Reg Coles, the Shearer's cook out there, his grandson was the great uh, jockey Malcolm Johnston. So, yeah, I ran across a lot of interesting characters out in the shearing sheds. Unbelievable. You, you just mentioned there that you go, you, you're shearing during the week, um, one of the hardest jobs you've ever had, and then you're driving back to do the races. When was your last holiday, Cole? The last holiday? I think, uh, <laughs> I don't know whether you called the holiday, but. Uh, I called the races in Vanuatu from 1993 for 13 years. And then I was getting a lot of, um, you know, the TAB meetings cropping up during the week when I used to be over there for their cup meeting. They just had the one race meeting a year. And uh, they got me and the chief steward, Terry Bailey, from Melbourne, because he was the steward over there with Brett Wright for a lot of years. Uh, Reed Sanders was there one year, Wade Birch and another couple of years. But uh, they got us back for the 25th anniversary, I think it was, of the races in Vanuatu. And uh, that would have been, oh, gee, Dave, that would have been back uh, 14 years ago. I suppose that's the last time I took a holiday. But that was pretty hard work over there, Dave, because you, <laughs> you didn't go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you a workaholic? I mean, it seems like um, you just every every week, like you mentioned, you're doing meetings all the time. Um, you know, it, you, you never stop, theoretically. Oh, that's right, Dave, but don't. Talk about being a workaholic. Look, I don't like to say it, but some days I get up and I've got to drive, say, up to Canamble or Louth, and other times I had to go out to Broken Hill, which is about, oh, geez, it's a round trip. It's 16, 17, 18 hours. Rod Fuller does them out there now uh, because I end up with a lot of clashes around here with Broken Hill. But, uh, I, you know, I don't like saying it, but there are some mornings, Dave, like everyone else, I just wake up and say, God, I wish I didn't have to drive all that bloody way today. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could just go afternoon out in the Lachlan River and do a bit of fishing. But, uh, no, I just, just got used to it, Dave, and uh, uh, they're expecting you to be there. And um, another thing I always learned from back in those days in the shearing shed, don't ever be late because you're letting your mates down and... I think you'll find me at every race meeting. I'm always there well over an hour before. Always allow a bit of time for the puncture and all that sort of stuff. But I've never been late for a race meeting. I know something I'm going to be proud of anyway. <laughs> what about uh, moments at the racetrack? I mean, 50 years is a long, long time. You, you would have seen plenty of things. You would have seen the game change as well. Maybe, you know, you, you hear these stories of back in the day uh, about the little tricks of the trade that were going on with certain trainers and jockeys and it was a bit of the Wild West, and obviously now uh, with integrity in racing New South Wales, uh, it's 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 a totally different ball game. But let's talk about the, the best horse you've seen. What is the best horse you believe you've seen or you've called with your own eyes? And I wonder if that'll spur the thought of uh, anyone out there listening, because there'll be a lot of people listening from the country that uh, that might either a agree or they might have a different horse. Yeah, well, the one that really sticks in my mind. Um I've mentioned this before a few times. Tolmax trained on the golf course at Molan by the late Trevor Dolman. Now, I was at Parks and they were 
going over the maiden handicap and back in those, you know, back when Telmax was racing, there were a lot of bookmakers. There's probably 12 or 14 bookmakers there that day. And um, there was a horse from out in the west that had been back in from about three to one into about um, six to four. And uh, next thing, this horse told Max it was sevens into about odds on. And I was like, what's going on here? You still got me there, Dave? Yeah, I've got you, mate. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, my phone just uh, went up black screen. And uh, into the straight they came, and this told Max, I looked at this horse. I said, this horse looks totally different to all the horses I call out here. There's something that's caught me about him. He's having his first start in a race. He'd been sick for years. He'd been nursed back to health in an orchard by his um, owner, Jack Campbell, down at Orange. First start in a race as a six-year-old, and he bolted in. A jockey called Errol Monroe rode him. I think he won 10 out of his next 11 races. Always felt sorry for the ones who backed the other horse. He won 10 out of his first 11. He ended up winning group races in Sydney, Colmax. He gets my number one spot, I, I would say, Colmax uh, of the horses I've seen out here. All right, and what about uh, jockeys? Who do you think the, jockeys, the best well, jockey you've seen? Yeah, well, you know, I go back to the days when Matey Malloy from Forbes, you know, great racing family of the Malloys, and, you know, he won uh, Doncaster Handicap and Persian Puzzle, came from near last on the turn with the rails run. He was riding at the same time as the great Reg, Reg Payne from Cara, Mervyn Stingo, Spike Jones, Keithy Ashton, Harry Troy, all the boys up uh, north there. Uh, Wayne Whitten, Harry Troy, the Lund boys, all those fellows. And, um, yeah, back in those days, but more recently, I suppose, Greg Ryan, you've got to take your hat off to Greg. He didn't start riding only 25 years of age. And I said, to, one day someone said to me, how's this apprentice go? I said, he looked like a bag of potatoes on him. But he was so dedicated that I delete my words pretty quickly because he became a, a marvellous jockey. And I just hope he's been enjoying his retirement. He's one of the most nicest, best people you'll ever meet in your life. Matthew Carl, another terrific bloke. What a polished rider. Matthew Carl is from Tara. Sensational rider he is. Uh, Billy Astros, of course, won the group race for Gary Froze and Taradu down in Sydney. He won premiership after premiership. Dale Jeffries, good. Uh, Dale Jeffries, you know, a bit underrated. He won every cup in our area, Dale Jeffries. And he um, works there as a mentor for the apprentice in our area. Tony Cavello is one of my great favourites. He rides out here now, former good Sydney jockey, but Probably the most talented jockey I ever saw out in country New South Wales was a jockey called Nigel Seymour. I think he's, he makes a few comebacks now and again up in Queensland. He might, I don't know if he's riding up there at the moment, but for natural talent, I think he was probably the most naturally talented jockey that I ever saw out, out in this area with Nigel Seymour. Yeah. What about life in general? Do you have any regrets, Cole? Only regrets is because sport... Um, yeah, I've been married and that and that kids and that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, they've gone by the wayside over the years. I suppose they've been pretty tied up at the racing. But, yeah, all good, lovely, lovely uh, relationships I've had. Um, probably, you know, I, I regret because I probably wasn't the, uh, wasn't the best at the game. But, uh, yeah, uh, regrets. Would have loved to have played a lot more tennis and cricket. Uh, but apart from that, I think that uh, I've been very, very fortunate to do something. Some days when you're like that cricketer who snicked the ball a couple of times to go out for two ducks and you think you're never going to get another, um, and never going to hit another four, it's a bit like race calling. You have a couple of pretty ordinary days. You, you get down on yourself. You blame yourself. People don't realise how much race callers blame themselves and what they go through when they make a little mistake. But then you come back and you call another 
40, 40 meetings and you're pretty spot on. And, you know, there's always around the corner there'll be some horse gets hidden on the rails and you miss it. But, yep, I think I've been pretty fortunate to be, do what I'm doing. You certainly have. And, and Jack Smith has just timed in on the text message. The Greyhound trainer at Forbes, mate, and he said he's good. Ask Cole about his OAM, and that's where I was heading next because there's a funny story with that, mate, but you are. You're recognised by the, the Queen in those Order of Australia uh, medals, and that must have been a big surprise. I think we spoke about that when I was at Forbes when we were there for Feral Frankie having a bit of fun at the local. Yeah, Ray Smith. He actually rode a couple of, uh, he rode a few winners too as a, a picnic jockey, Ray Smith. Did he? Um, yeah, her and Marie Smith, they, they've always been wonderful workers in Forbes. They worked up the local hospital and and, uh, you know, they're always their dream was to get a greyhound farm. And I only drove past it the other day on the road going out the Bogan Gate there. And, oh, mate, they've got it set up beautifully. And, you know, they, they're, they're, what they do, they do marvellously well. Apart from Feral Frankie, it's all those other champion dogs. And, you know, they're just great people. There's no doubt about that. What about your OAM, mate? See, you're always talking about other people. What about yourself? What about this OAM? Because there's a funny story with that. I don't know about that. I always say it's a lot better than a DUI. <laughs> <laughs> I've had one or two of them over the years. Of course, I gave away drinking about five years ago after keeping Forbes up the top of the drinking capital of Australia. Forbes was actually, Dave, but was, I always remember reading in the, one of the Sydney papers where Forbes once with us 10 pubs and uh, pretty good drinkers. It ranked second for beer consumption in Australia per head behind Jeez. Darwin. And I think I helped them out a fair bit there, Dave, for a long time. But, yeah, I haven't had a drink for about five years, Dave, when I take me. See, I watch you drinking one of those icy cold reaches, mate, and I can tell you what, I, I feel like grabbing the glass up here. But anyway, that's the way it is. The OAM, Jeff, uh, uh, Dave, yeah, uh, oh, I thought they were joking. Someone rang me up and something, something said something or other about, you know, we're going to send you some stuff in the mail or something, rather you've got to tick some boxes or do this or do that. And I just thought it was a joke and just hung the phone up. Eventually got the call to go down there. But anyway, so that's what happened. No, nah, that is sensational, mate. Before I, I, I wrap it up, what's been your best day for you at the racetrack? I mean, were you much were you, were you, were you a punter or was it a particular day? I mean, I know you obviously uh, have a lot of uh, history there with Cowra and that uh, triple dead heat uh, that was 25 years ago and that was, a, that was a big day for you, that being the only triple dead heat that's been in New South Wales. I mean, what what's a highlight for your career, your best day at the um, track? Highlight? Gee, I, I love calling that country championship race there a few years ago when that horse, Stony Rise, trained up near the Queensland border, way at the back of Burke. I think he had to drive about three hours on dirt roads to even get to Burke way out west, um, the uh, Hatchie trainer. And, uh, oh, mate, when it won that country championship qualifier over in Dubbo, that, that was an enormous thrill. But, yeah, I've had a, I've had a lot of um, very, 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 very good times. Dave, I'll give you an exclusive, if you like, Dave, before I yeah, go. Yeah, Oh, I've never mentioned this. I, I mentioned it to probably three people, I suppose, or I discussed it with, but people often say, you know, why didn't you ever go and call races um, from out of the country areas? But I, uh, yeah, I, back when I and Craig, when I and Craig were still calling, I was offered a contract to call for another Sydney radio station. They wanted to network the Sydney races through Queensland and... Back uh, in the later days of Craig calling in Sydney and me with a, a rival radio station, and I thought about it a bit and I decided to stay out in the country. And uh, I think they might have um, decided not not to go ahead with it then. But anyway, I thought I'd just tell you, Dave, I've never told anyone else. So that's uh, just something that people always ask me, why, did, why didn't you ever move out of the country? Um, so instead of saying it wasn't good enough, 
Uh, someone must have thought I went all right sometime in my life, so there you go. Mate, I could talk talk to you for hours um, because I know we've only scratched the surface with your with your journey and your career, and and you're still going. Do, do you ever think about do you think about the day that you, you won't be calling, or you just you just keep turning up and away you go? I think I, I think I thought about giving it away about six months after I started, and I stuffed the race up. But yeah, no, it crosses your mind. Of course, it crosses your mind, but. Um, yeah, the clubs out here keep contacting me and Sky keeps contacting me and, you know, checking it every now and again. You know, you, you're right to keep going. You're right to keep going. We'd like to see you keep going. So uh, if that's the case, there'll be some punters who, who don't like my calls. But in the bulk, I think most people, I seem to get through them all right. So uh, at this stage here, I'll, um, I'll keep uh, going for um, some time yet, maybe. Okay, Dave? Fantastic. Cole, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, mate. Uh, yeah, as I said... Um, you are always so good with your time uh, when we have to ask you at Sky Sports Radio. And uh, Lord, I've been doing this, what, a couple of years now, and uh, it's been brilliant to work with you, mate. And I look forward to a big 2022, and I, I hope you've enjoyed today, all right? Yeah, it was really nice, Dave, and uh, thanks for the interview. It was really good. Cole Hodges there is our Monday's expert. We'll be back soon.